everybody. Welcome to the Cross to Crown podcast, where we are building kings, shepherds, and new covenant theologians. We are tearing down strongholds that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. We are taking ideologies captive to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to talk about Paul's exclusive claim to the title, Chief of Sinners. If you call yourself the Chief of Sinners, by the end of this episode, hopefully you will realize that title does not belong to you. We are also going to talk through the 10 reasons to get and stay fit as men. We want to be lean and muscular, and I'm going to tell you why. But before we get to any of that, I want to remind you that this, today, January 18th, year of our Lord, 2021, is a good day. Today is a good day. Do you know why today is a good day? It's not because it's Martin Luther King Day. It's not because it's Monday. It's not because of the events that are coming up this week. Today is a good day because Jesus Christ sits on the throne reigning over heaven and earth. That's right. He is reigning over every aspect of your life and my life. Everything that takes place on planet Earth, we are safe and secure. He has given us a mission. He has given us His Word and His Spirit and His truth. We are citizens of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That makes today a good day. So i like to begin the, the show talking through some things in the news, but today I'm not going to do that. At least I'm not going to talk specifically about the news because I don't know about you, but uh, I find there's a lot of chaos, a lot of things that I don't know. I'm uh, not sure what media to trust. In fact, I don't trust most of the media. There is uh, uh, there are troops surrounding Washington, D.C., the Capitol building, as I understand it. We got the inauguration coming up this week, and everybody's got a different opinion on what has happened and what is happening. And as Christians, we can be fearful, we can, uh, we can grow angry, we can be uh, uh, provoked to, uh, to all kinds of things because of what we hear in the media and uh, even Christians. And uh, I want to, instead of dealing with the specifics of the day, I want to share with you three verses from the book of Proverbs that give us hope. These are uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verses 3, 5, and 6. As you know how the Proverbs work, there's usually a, uh, a statement and then a parallel statement. And many times those two statements are antithetical to one another. It's called antithetical parallelism. It's a, it's a Hebrew form of poetry. I'm not going to read the, uh, the positive si sides so much as I'm going to read the negative sides, which will give us hope. So here they are, verse 3. The crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. That's the second line in, in Proverbs 11:3. The crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Verse 5. The wicked will fall through their own wickedness. Again, the wicked will fall through their own wickedness. And finally, verse 6. The treacherous will be ensnared by their own desires. The treacherous will be ensnared by their own desires. This is the wisdom of King Solomon as he looks out and observes the world as the Spirit of God inspires him to wisely uh, evaluate what is happening, to make discerning statements. And he says, the treacherous will be destroyed, the wicked will fall, 
the treacherous will be ensnared by their own desires. So to the extent that the leaders of our nation are wicked and treacherous, and there is reason to believe that some of them are, I don't know who they are, all of them. Uh, Again, most of what we know, if not all that we know, is given to us by pundits, by media talking heads, by people who have an agenda, people who are looking uh, at these things from afar, who have a business model to get you to come back and watch them. There's a temptation to sensationalism. There's a temptation to uh, extend the truth beyond uh, the borders of of knowledge, of, of what we can be sure of, all those kind of things. And again, I'm not saying that uh, there's no truth to what we hear, but we just need to be careful and not assume that whatever media personality we're listening to is telling us the truth. Having said that, I think we all know, it's been proven over time, there is a great temptation to wickedness, to treachery, to lying, and so on uh, from our politicians on both sides of the aisle. So this is not a partisan critique today. And we can rest knowing and hoping in the fact that God knows and that he sees all the wickedness, that he sees the treachery, that he is working for the good of his church, and that someday the crooked will be destroyed, the treacherous will fall, the wicked will be exposed. So we rest in that, we hope in that. We, uh, we trust not in politics, not in politicians, not in our government, no matter who's in office, we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, none of that is to say we shouldn't care. None of that is to say we shouldn't vote and have a voice and all that. You've, If you've been around this podcast at all, you know I, I believe just the opposite. I believe Christians have done a poor job of speaking our mind and speaking truth to, uh, to the leaders, and the church has lost its voice. In many ways, we've become weak, and we've become uh, worldly, frankly. Uh, so this is not to say that we shouldn't talk about those things and uh, and make our voices heard. However, we always have to guard against placing our hope in men. So when your favorite candidate is in office, don't treat him as the Messiah. And when our most fearful candidate is in office, don't assume all is doomed because the Lord Jesus Christ is king. So I lay that out for you as we go through this week of inauguration and head into the next administration. Trust the Lord. Know that at the end of the day, nobody gets away with it. Everybody will stand before the judge, King Jesus, and give an account for what they have done. And the Lord Jesus has a way of taking things that make us fearful and turning them into ways to glorify himself. He takes things that are hard and makes them uh, wonderful. So with all that in mind, have hope. This is a good day. It's a good week. All right, let's get to the 10 reasons to get and stay fit. Now, I'm a pastor theologian, and uh, most of you have probably started listening to me because of New Covenant Theology, and you think, why is this guy talking so much about losing fat and gaining muscle? And the reason is, I think Christians are sometimes afraid to talk about these things. Some think it's vain, it's worldly, we're caught up in, in, uh, in the world's preoccupation with, uh, with body image and those kind of things. Uh, some might say it's a waste of time, though I would say just the opposite. 
Anyway, I talk about this because I'm convinced it's important, and especially as men get older, uh, I would say if you are nearing 40 or over 40, you should take your health and fitness more seriously than ever. Uh, However, if you are younger than, say, 40, it's a great time to get lean and get fit and, and muscular because it's easier to maintain those things when you get older than to create them when you get older. So I don't think this is ungodly at all. It may be somewhat mundane. It may fit into that category where Paul says uh, physical exercise, physical discipline is of some value for a little while. So it's not uh, it's not to be compared to eternal life. But while we are here on this earth, our body is our vehicle to interact with the world. It's how we get things done. It's how we serve Christ. It's how we love others. We do everything we do through our body. And, uh, and we're not Gnostics. We don't separate the, the inner man and outer man to such a degree that we look down upon the outer man. We, we shouldn't do that. The Bible doesn't tell us to do that. We are whole people. We're going to have redeemed bodies someday. So we're always going to be inner man, outer man. So in the meantime, on this side, take care of your body. So here are the 10 reasons to do it. Number one. Health, Uh, just for good health. Avoid diseases caused or exacerbated by obesity. Uh, There's a lot of research that indicates that uh, there are some diseases that are probably caused by obesity, and there are plenty of diseases that are increased in their severity uh, due to people being overweight. Uh, So just generally for your own health, how you feel and whether or not you get some of these diseases, uh, your your diet, your nutrition and uh, lean body mass, all those things impact uh, how your body handles the uh, the diseases and, and avoids them. Uh, I've read of one doctor who is uh, convinced that uh, type 2 diabetes, I believe it is, can be completely... Um, avoided or reduced basically to a non-issue if uh, if people will eat a high-protein, low-carb diet and get lean. Now, I'm not a doctor. In fact, this is probably a good time to, uh, to qualify everything I'm going to say today that has anything to do with medicine. I'm not a doctor. I have no expertise in, uh, in medical science. I've done a lot of reading, research. I've talked to people and uh, I formulated my own opinions based on what I've read and learned from people that I trust. And uh, uh, some of this is anecdotal, my own experience. Um, so you should not make any medical decisions based on my advice. I'm repeating what I understand from others to be true. And there are plenty of doctors who would say that uh, your health is, is better if you have low body fat, and more muscle. So that's reason number one, your general health. Number two, uh, to delay atrophy and to to avoid injuries. As we get older, our muscle deteriorates if we don't continue to build it. And our bodies decay. They they wear down. That's the second law of thermodynamics. It's part of being in this fallen world. Things fall apart. And if we don't take care of our bodies, our body falls apart. And we've sort of adopted in our day, I think, and certainly among Christians, this view that uh, aging is inevitable. 
And once you hit 40 or 50 or so, you're just going to go downhill and there's nothing you can do about it. Your bones are going to get fragile and everything's going to hurt. And, you know, you're going to be in the shower one day and drop the soap and bend down to pick it up. And you're going to throw your back out or whatever. You're going to have those kinds of injuries. There's just nothing you can do. As you get old, you're going to fall and break your hip. And for older people, that can spell the end. My grandpa died at 93 uh, with a broken hip. Uh, up until the day he was 90, he was in outstanding shape. He even mowed his own lawn at 90. Uh, but he fell and broke his hip when he was 90, and it wasn't too long uh, until he was no longer with us. So uh, you, your body's going to decay. Uh, it's going to atrophy, but you can slow that down. You can build muscle. You, you can build muscle all of your life. I, I've read several people, uh, one guy who's in his mid to late 60s, who has put on, I think, about 10 pounds of muscle in the last five years. He has uh, He's put pictures up where you can see it, and he went from a, a very skinny man to a pretty muscular man in his 60s. And uh, he is uh, just saying there's no there's no reason you can't put on muscle in in your 60s and 70s and even 80s if you uh, if you apply yourself to it. And uh, you know as we as we get older as our muscles deteriorate if we don't build them back up then we do get those strains and those um, uh, those th those injuries like I was talking about throwing out our back. Building muscle, losing fat can slow that process down. Number three. Testosterone, and this I am definitely uh, relying on the input of, uh, of people that I that I follow on social media and books I've read, and experts that I've I've traced down. Because I don't know, I, I I'm not a doctor. I can't uh, run a blood panel and tell you you know what uh, testosterone levels are good and such. But I'm explaining what I have learned from others, and as I uh, have done the research. It appears that men, as they approach 30 and beyond, we lose testosterone pretty consistently for the, for the remaining decades of our lives. Uh, I think, if I remember correctly, I, I read somewhere that around the age 30, we start losing maybe 1% of our testosterone every year. And as men, testosterone is so important. It drives so much of what we do, our, our energy level and, and uh, overall health and, and all those kind of things, our, our metabolism, much of that is driven by our testosterone. And there's a, a, a push to, uh, to have testosterone therapy, to, uh, to have injections or take pills or something to, to increase our testosterone. But I have found a lot of guys who say you can accomplish great improvement in your testosterone through diet, resistance training, and sleep. If you eat high-protein diet, whole foods, watch the carbs, uh, don't eat junk food, don't eat processed food, if you eat healthy like that, if you push your muscles, lift weights, that's resistance training. You're, uh, you're doing the, the big lifts, uh, the bench press and the overhead shoulder press kind of thing and, and squats and deadlifts um, and, uh, and back exercises, back uh, pulls and things. If you do those on a regular basis and you get decent sleep, you can keep your testosterone high even much later in life in the 70s and 80s. And that makes men feel better and makes us more productive. So being lean, and, and apparently the more body fat you have, the more that works against your testosterone. So being leaner and being stronger and getting good sleep 
can go a long way to increasing your testosterone. And that leads to number four, your sex drive. Uh, testosterone is key to our sex drive. And I hear guys a lot of times talk about in their 40s and 50s why they're just not interested as much as they used to be. And, and wives complain that their husbands just aren't interested. And there may be other reasons for that. We've talked about that, whether it's pornography or stress or whatever. But sometimes it's more physiological. Sometimes it's low testosterone. In fact, I would say a lot of times it is. Well, getting fit, getting lean, and, uh, and building muscle can increase your sex drive significantly. Number five, related, your sexual attractiveness for your wife, or if you're not married, toward your potential wife. Uh, sometimes I think men believe a lie that women are not uh, interested in our physique, that uh, our wives really don't care that much, that women are not as visual as men. And it may be true they're not as visual, but that's not the same thing as saying they are not visual. If you read the Song of Songs, you will see that the woman expresses her desire for her man's body just as much as the man describes the woman's body. And she yearns for it. She's attracted to it. Uh, don't fool yourself, gentlemen. If you're married, your wife would much rather have sex with a man who looks great than a man who doesn't. And if you're in the market and pursuing a, uh, a woman who might be a wife someday, uh, yes, you want her to marry you for character and for other things, but don't underestimate your, uh, your physical fitness and how attractive you would be toward her. Number six, uh, lifting weights, getting lean, all of this requires great self-control. And that's a good thing. It's one of the fruit of the spirit, self-control. We need to, to take control uh, and have self-discipline over all kinds of things and lifting weights and eating the right things and avoiding eating the things that we may want. Uh, all of that takes great self-control and self-discipline, and that's good. That improves our character. It's a, a way that the Holy Spirit can, can work his fruit in us. And I have found that the more consistent I am, and being self-disciplined when it comes to the weight room and to the kitchen, uh, that spills over into other areas that I want and need to be controlled in. So it's a good way to practice self-control. Number seven, aches and pains. Uh, so let me tell you this story. I may have shared this quite a while ago on the podcast, but I'm going to share it again. Um, so several years ago, many years ago now, I uh, threw up my back. And it was bad enough that I was laid up on the sofa for a week. And I did not realize when I heard, had heard other men talk about being laid up with back pain, I thought, how is that possible? That that doesn't seem right. Well, then the Lord decided to humble me and show me. So I was laid out every time I had to move just a little bit. Uh, man, severe pain up and down my body. Well, I, I eventually recovered enough to be able to get up and move around. But for years, I had constant back pain just every day. Uh, sometimes it was worse. Sometimes it was not quite as bad, but it was always there. And whenever we would take trips like uh, to St. Louis to see our family, which is about uh, a 12 to 13 hour drive from Colorado Springs, uh, we would take that trip at least once a year and, you know, a full day in the car. And I was two or three days stiff and achy and pain in my back. And then about the time we got a little bit better, we'd get in the car and drive home and same thing. 
I was done being able to help people move, uh, pack up their house, that kind of thing. Anytime I lifted something, uh, it just set my back on fire and it would hurt. And so I was just in constant pain and people told me I was going to have to live with it forever unless I wanted to get, you know, disc surgery, that kind of thing. So I thought my days of working out were, were gone and probably just about all sports and, and such. And really life, my life was going to be, um, encumbered from that point forward. Well, I decided, uh, I was putting on some weight and decided I got to get back in shape. And, uh, so I decided I was going to start working out again and I was even going to do squats and deadlifts, but I would take it really slow. And if, uh, if I felt like I was hurting myself severely and injuring myself, last thing you want to do is have a true injury, but I thought I was injuring myself, I would stop. But I thought, uh, maybe I can still get some benefit from these lifts and uh, and not hurt my back too much more. So I started both squats and deadlifts with just the bar. So I think that's 45 pounds, right? 45 pound squats, 45 pound deadlifts. And then each week I would add five pounds and take it real slow, not push it, and uh, and work myself up until I got to a place where I thought, okay, this is hurting me. What I discovered was about three, maybe four months into that, doing it a couple times a week, my back pain was almost completely gone, like just gone. And sometime in that period, we drove to St. Louis to, uh, to where our parents are, and I got there after 12 and a half hours in the van, and I was a little stiff, but it didn't hurt. And the next day, I woke up feeling great. And then at the end of our trip, drove back, same thing, a little stiff, but I felt great. And since then, my back has never felt this good, or at least not since I was in my maybe 30s. Uh, it's amazing. So if you have aches and pains, uh, maybe it's muscular, and maybe building muscle will help relieve it. I also have uh, I've inherited bad shoulders from my dad, and I had some significant shoulder pain which was unfortunate for me because as a guitar player, uh, to rest my arm up on the body of the guitar after about 10 or 15 minutes would just ache and ache. And, and that's been that way for years. And I, I just have to live with it or it discourages me from playing the guitar. Since I've been doing uh, the heavy weightlifting, my shoulders, both of them that had been in pain, are feeling really, really good. There are still occasional little tweaks now and then, certain act actions that uh, hurt it, but by and large, uh, the pain is gone and, and playing guitar doesn't hurt at all. And there are others I could describe for me. The, the, the point is, uh, what I thought were the kinds of injuries that require surgery or that will just make me less mobile for the rest of my life actually were a result of weakness and lifting weights has uh, has resolved those things for me. So uh, again, be careful, check with a physical therapist, go see a doctor, someone who knows what they're doing if you have specific pain. But I would just say maybe don't assume that your pains are permanent or that they require surgical procedures. Maybe just working out will uh, uh, solve some of those. So again, check with your doctor. Don't trust my word for it. But anecdotally, I can tell you what I've been through. All right, number eight. If you work out regularly, that is a great example for others. Uh, Your wife also, if you're married, your wife needs to 
be in good health and she needs to be physically fit. And uh, she, she, for all the same reasons that I'm describing here, except maybe the testosterone piece, but her own hormones are largely regulated by diet and uh, her body fat and her muscles. So if she watches you hit the gym three or four times a week faithfully, that will encourage her. If you have children, uh, for you to be a good steward of your body and take care of it will be a good example for them. And you may tell them once in a while you think you would, it would be a good idea for them to, to lift weights or to eat better. But watching you do it will go a long ways to encouraging them and other men. You can be an example for those around you to, uh, to see uh, a man who's self-disciplined, a man who's getting leaner, a man who's getting stronger, and that will encourage a guy who uh, sees your progress, who needs to uh, work on it himself. Number nine, it's good for stress and sleep. You know, we all have a lot of things on our mind. We have a lot of things that uh, that we're worried about. A lot of things that uh, that we uh, uncertainties, that kind of thing, and we we get stressed. Well, working out hard, really pushing yourself with uh, with heavy weights. Um, it's good for your stress. It, it, it's a, it's a, it relieves it. It releases that, some of that tension. And I have found, uh, lots of times I, uh, I, I go to the gym and I'm pretty, uh, uh, pretty worked up about something. And by the time I'm done working out, my head's clearer. I'm ready to think about it with a, a cooler head. And, uh, it's just, it's just helped in every way. Uh, so, uh, I would encourage you to, uh, to give that a shot if you are a stressed person and, and sleep, you will sleep better, which helps everything else. Uh, if you work your body hard, you know, that's just something we don't do today. Uh, most men, you may be one of the few, but most of us do not work our bodies very hard, uh, in our jobs. You know, most of us sit at, sit at desks and that kind of thing. Uh, so working your body out in the weight room is, uh, is good for us. And number 10, as much as you may not want to admit it. People in this world make uh, decisions or draw conclusions about others partially because of how we look. I'm not saying it's right and good. I'm just saying it's the reality. Your image, your first impression on others, what people think of you, uh, there's at least a um, uh, an unconscious or, a, or a, a tacit piece of their perception of you that has to do with how you look. Again, I'm not saying that's the way it should be. But in a in a culture that uh, that does stress so much uh, good looks, um, if you are fit and lean and strong, uh, that's going to earn respect, especially from other men, which is uh, which is okay. It, you know, if that's just one piece of those who uh, who are around you, who follow you, who uh, who look up to you, and they see you're uh, you're in good shape, uh, that's okay. That that uh, forms some of their image uh, of you. Again, we as men do not want to be preoccupied with this. We don't want to make an idol out of it. And we don't want to uh, get our sense of self-worth based on our, uh, our looks, our, our bodies. Uh, so that's not what I'm going for. I, I'm stressing all this for health reasons and for, uh, for the fact that our body is our, our instrument for interacting with the world. But let's not be naive. People do look at us uh, based on how we look, and, and that's just part of it. And, you know, just thinking through that, you probably, if you're honest, do that with others. There's a, there's a judgment piece that you make about others based on their fitness. And we should all be striving to eliminate that. But in the meantime, to, uh, 
to be concerned with uh, how you look is not a bad thing. So there you are. Those are the 10 reasons I'm giving you today to uh, be uh, get and stay fit, to be lean and muscular. It's hard work. If you're not already there, but it can be done, you can transform those things, and I want to encourage you to do it. All right, so let's get to our study of 1 Timothy. If you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been working through 1 Timothy. Today, we're looking at verses 12 through 17, and I tease this with the idea of the chief of sinners title. I hear Christians, especially Christian leaders, pastors, um, teachers, sometimes call themselves the chief of sinners. And uh, we we like at times to humbly admit just how, how wicked we are, how sinful we are. And there is a part of that that I push back on because we are sanctified by Christ and His Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit fills us and He is making us more like Christ. He's making us holy we need to be careful that we don't act in unbelief. We want to be careful that we don't forget that the Holy Spirit really is making us holy. If you're not more holy than you were five years ago as a Christian, uh, something's wrong because the Holy Spirit is, is real and he's active and he's doing stuff. And uh, so Christians must be continuing to grow in holiness. So, uh, you know, we're not perfect, and, and I don't know anybody. I'm certainly not uh, sinless, uh, and I doubt you know anybody who's sinless. That's not the point. The point is we should not wallow in our depravity as Christians. We have new hearts, clean hearts. We have the Spirit of God. He's given us the mind of Christ, and we must be growing. Having said all of that, I want to make sure we put the title Chief of Sinners where it belongs, and it's not your title. Let me show you. Verse 12 of 1 Timothy. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. So let me just stop there. So he's thanking the Lord because the Lord put him, Paul, into ministry. He called him into ministry, even though beforehand he was, and listen to the three things he called himself, a blasphemer. That's a serious sin in Judaism. Well, it's a serious sin in Christianity too, but for, for the Jew to blaspheme, to say something that was at the level of blasphemy, uh, that could bring your own execution. That was a capital offense. Well, that's what Paul did. He was a persecutor. He persecuted the church, and he was a violent aggressor. Yet, he says, I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant, and the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost. Or some of your translations would say, I am the chief. I am the chief of sinners. Okay, so you got to remember Paul's life and experience to understand what he's saying here. Paul elsewhere calls himself a Jew of Jews. 
a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He studied at the feet of one of the greatest Jewish scholars of his day, Gamaliel. He said before, before the law, he was blameless. No one could bring a charge against him according to the law of God. He had the pedigree going back to the tribe of Benjamin. So he was, uh, he was the model Jew. He was in the Sanhedrin. He, uh, the sky was the limit. He was pursuing a, a career path, if you will, among the Jews. And he, he could go as high as anybody could go. He was a brilliant man, great scholarly man, clearly uh, well-educated and had read many, many works by Jews and, and uh, Gentiles alike. He was, uh, from the Jewish perspective, as good as it gets. And he was convinced he was doing what he was doing to the glory of God. So you remember the story in the early part of Acts. He's there authorizing the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Stephen was a Christian, and he was preaching to the Jews who were around him. He was preaching the gospel. He walked through the Old Testament and showed how Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. He was the King who had been promised to sit on the throne of David. And he's rebuking his Jewish friends there for their stiff-necked uh, disbelief of Jesus and for killing Jesus. And finally, he says the magic words, and the Jews are enraged. They gnash their teeth, and they pick up stones to stone him to death. And standing right there, authorizing all of this, is Paul. He was known as Saul there, his Jewish name. We now know him as Paul, his Greek name. But he authorized all of this. So even if he didn't actually throw a stone, he is rightfully condemned uh, as the one who killed Stephen. But Stephen wasn't the only one. Paul went everywhere he could persecuting Christians. And he was convinced that Jesus was a fraud. Jesus was a sham. He was convinced that Jesus himself was a blasphemer and idolater, that he had no business calling himself uh, the Messiah because he wasn't the Messiah. And to call himself the Messiah and to uh, gain a following and to allow his people to consider him the Son of God, for Paul, that was just the, the greatest heresy and offense against God that one could imagine. And so he would have applauded the death of Jesus. He would have celebrated the execution of Jesus on the cross. He did this all with a, with a clear conscience. He says elsewhere, I, he did it all with a clear conscience. He was convinced he was pleasing God by killing Christians. Then he's on his way to Damascus one day to persecute more Christians. And it's high noon and a light shines out of the sun, uh, out, out, of the, out of the sky, brighter than the sun, blinds Paul and he hears a voice and the voice says the worst thing that Paul could ever hear. He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Paul had spent his whole life and ministry up to that point destroying what he thought was idolatry. And it turns out Jesus is the Messiah. And he proved it to Paul by blinding him on that day. 
So then Paul has to go on to Damascus and spend a couple days blind, and he has time to think. Well, Paul is a Jew who knows the law, and he knows the penalty for this kind of error. He's been killing the people who are following the Messiah. Well, he deserves to die. I'm sure as he's pondering this for those three days, he's pondering, how could I have been so wrong? And, and searching in his mind the scriptures that he knew so well, but he would definitely have been fearful for his own life because he has been persecuting the people of the Messiah. And Jesus sent Ananias to come to him, to give him sight again, and to tell him, I'm not, or that Jesus is not going to execute him. He is going to put him into service. He's going to send him as a missionary throughout the Mediterranean region, all throughout the Roman Empire, to take the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, to kings, to synagogue leaders, to the big cities of the empire. He is going to be the primary messenger of the gospel in that first century. And Paul did that. He spent the rest of his life devoted to Jesus, going in one town after the next. He'd go to the synagogue until they got mad and ran him out, and then he'd go to the Gentiles. And over and over again, he was beaten. He was stoned. He was beaten with rods. He was whipped. He was, he, he lived his whole life under persecution for the sake of Christ. In this passage to Timothy, he is admitting, I was formerly a blasphemer, formerly a persecutor, formerly an aggressor, but God in his grace, the Lord in his grace, forgave me and put me into service. And here's what he says in verse 16, yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me as the foremost sinner, as the chief of sinners, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. What Paul was saying is, I have done the worst acts of wickedness that anybody could do. I killed Christians. That makes me the chief of sinners. I killed Christians in the name of God. That makes me a sinner beyond all sinners. And here's the punchline. If Jesus can forgive me, he can forgive anyone. You see that? If Jesus will forgive me, who is actively killing his followers, then he can forgive you. You're a fornicator, he, he can forgive you. You're an adulterer, he can forgive you. You're a murderer, he can forgive you. Cheated on your taxes, he can forgive you. Liar, he will forgive you. Mean-spirited, slanderer, gossip, he'll, he'll forgive you. How does Paul know that? Because he forgave me, Paul says, and I did way worse than even those things, as bad as some of those are. So, do you see the point? Don't call yourself the chief of sinners. That title belongs to Paul. If every sinner is the chief of sinners, Paul's point falls. It doesn't, it, it doesn't give us hope. It doesn't give us comfort. We need to understand that Paul is saying, I did the big ones. I was the worst. I was the most wretched man who ever lived. 
because of what I was doing to the followers of Christ. And Jesus, in his grace and mercy, saved me, forgave me, and put me into service and ministry. If Jesus would do that with Paul, he'll do that with anybody. Anybody who will repent, anybody who calls upon his name, anybody who comes to understand his grace and kindness. So brother, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. I may be the worst sinner I know, and I certainly feel guilty for my own sin, and I'm sure you do, and I regret my sin, and there are many things I wish I could go back and undo and, and not do them. And this is, none of us should take and treat our sin lightly. But Paul calls himself the foremost or chief of sinner to give all of us hope. This is a great story to tell somebody, someone who's lived a really awful, rebellious life, and you can just tell they are down. Uh, they're having a hard time believe that, believing that God would ever accept them. Uh, they think uh, they're just too bad. They've done too much. They'll say things like, you just don't understand. You just don't know what I've done. And they are living in this, in this swamp of guilt. Well, take them here. Take them to 1 Timothy. Maybe, maybe start in Acts and, and walk through uh, chapter 7, 8, 9, Paul's conversion after his uh, persecution of Stephen and others. And then take them here to 1 Timothy and show them this man was... You know, uh, public enemy number one of Jesus Christ. He was he was at the top of the most wanted list, and Jesus found him, and forgave him. And he can forgive anybody. And Paul then finishes this little section with the doxology. Now to the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only God, to Him be honor and glory, forever and ever. Amen. Well, friends, we're going to conclude with that today for this episode 75. Thanks for joining me. Uh, if you want to get more resources, go to crosstocrown.org. That is the, the website for Cross to Crown Ministries. There's lots and lots of video and audio teaching and old Bunyan conferences and Sound of Grace newsletters from John Riesinger. Uh, there's a bookstore there from myself and John Riesinger and Blake White and many others. So crosstocrown.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Doug Gooden, D-O-U-G. G-O-O-D-I-N. You can also follow us at Cross to Crown on Twitter and go to Cross to Crown Ministries on Facebook. And I did just set up an account on Gab at Doug Gooden. I uh, haven't posted anything and I'm not sure when I will do that, but uh, I know half the world is going to Gab, so we'll, we'll see if we do that. But uh, you can always follow me there and send me a note if you'd like. And uh, just one more thing, if you have found this helpful and no other uh, friends who might benefit from this podcast, please do uh, recommend it to them. All right. Well, that's it. Until next time, let us all live intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things. Have a great week.